Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild. But do you hear its call and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host Michael Moorcroft and I'll be bringing you a one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Major's Well. Hey Majors, welcome back to the show. This week, we're going to be looking into the She, commonly known as the Fae. Before I start though, a little bit of a trigger warning. Stories, mythology, and folklore around the Fae is dark. I talk about abductions and missing people, child abuse, murder. It's all quite grisly, and it's all committed and perpetrated by the Fae, so there's that. Also, I should say there's Christian takes on the Fae with how they're fallen angels, but I didn't really want to include these interpretations within this episode. Also, the research around the Fae is huge. I could have easily kept going with this, but I've been quite selective with what I've chosen to talk about, and I've posted quite a decent reading list on my Patreon if you are interested in looking into it further. Also, I've broken this episode up into two pieces. There's a lot of information that I've found, and I don't want to overwhelm people. So, this is episode number one, and episode number two will be posted next week. Now, on to the show. The Fae are a mischievous and often malicious race of spirits. 
Around the world, there seems to be a belief in this supernatural race that's not human, but not quite divine either, who existed in a different world to that of ours, but occupies the same space. Now, each place has its own name for the Fae. To the Greeks, they were called the Nereids, the Mayans called them Alux, Duendes to the Spanish, Mimi to the Aborigines, throughout the Middle East they are known as the Jinn, and to the Gaelic peoples they were called the She, spelt S-I-D-H-E. From here on out I'm going to use Fae and the She interchangeably. Now, all these spirits just mentioned were, generally speaking, very dangerous to those who encountered them. The Gaelic she were seen as deadly and quite volatile spirits, something to be avoided, as well as the places they inhabit, primarily that of liminal spaces. All of this is a complete contrast to how we see them today. So, when and why did this change? Well, we see modern interpretations of them forming around 1590, when Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream came into production, whereby the Fae were portrayed as cute and friendly, if slightly mischievous. They undergo another transformation in 1713, when Alexander Pope, within his poetry, gave them butterfly wings and effectively reduced their status to that of an insect. Disney put the final nail in the coffin and sealed this with Tinkerbell and various other characters who Disneyfied and tamed the malicious and precarious fae of Gaelic cultures. Combine this with the cheap crappy fairy statues you find in bric-a-brac shops and garden centres, it's put a bad PR spin on the world of the Fae. They also underwent a name change. Now, the native English word for these beings isn't fairies, it's actually elves, which is Germanic in origin, from the word Elfar, which is still used today in Germany and throughout Scandinavia. Fairy, we think, entered the English language around 1430, with the French fairy, meaning enchantment. Interestingly, fairy avoids saying the word elf and naming these beings directly, and thus avoids angering them. It's quite a common belief that if you name these beings directly, you'll offend them. And by the end of the 1400s, fairy was the main word to refer to them as. Now, I'm going to be looking into the history of the she or the fey and look at the Gaelic folklore and beliefs. But first, what actually is Gaelic? What does it mean? Well, very briefly, Gaelic is actually a language spoken by the Gaels, who were a Celtic tribe who spread throughout Ireland, Scotland, the Isle of Man, Wales, Cornwall and Brittany in France each area essentially having its own brand of Gaelic that's still spoken today. The earliest the Gaels could have come to the UK was 3200 BCE, which actually predates that what historians had originally thought. Now, the folklore and beliefs around the Fae vary hugely from region to region, resulting in incoherent and quite contradictory tales. For example, it's well known that iron repels them, but in some stories the Fae are excellent blacksmiths. Their size varies hugely, that of an average adult to an ant. In some tales they're friendly, in others, and more often, they're dangerous and even deadly. Any food you're offered by the Fae should be refused, yet people still eat it. 
They can be beguiling or absolutely hideous creatures. Their form is elusive and intangible, yet humans can marry and even have children with them. Part of this variance and this incoherent folklore from different areas is down to historically how difficult it was to carve a living from the land. How does this relate, you may be wondering. Let me explain. So within cities, the Fae, they're not really present. Survival isn't as difficult in comparison to the country, or rather, the city faces different difficulties. In more fertile and bountiful places like some parts of southern England, the Fae, they tend to be portrayed as tricksters, but they do have a sense of morality. They're entertaining, in a word. However, in northern England, southern Scotland, and Wales and Cornwall, where it's more challenging to live off the land, and people have to work harder, the Fae are a constant threat, and a situation that needs monitoring, yet individuals can still appeal to their good side. The most difficult terrains, that of Ireland, the Scottish Highlands, and the Isle of Man, these areas tend to produce fairies that are larger than anywhere else, and that are incredibly dangerous. The tales around them highlight and emphasise survival skills, which you'll need in these areas to live off the land. Now, interestingly, these difficult areas, that of Ireland, the Scottish Highlands, and the Isle of Man, they didn't face witch trials. Thought to be partly due to the fact that these areas were ripe with dangerous fae, any misfortunes the communities and societies suffered were blamed on these creatures and not attributed to women who could have been a potential target. So, what does Gaelic folklore and the history books say about the she? Well, she is the word for fairy folk, also known as the fae, meaning supernatural. And the word she was used throughout ancient Ireland, and it's still used today. It's also a Gaelic word for wind, implying that the fairy folk are everywhere, and it credits natural forces with supernatural powers. It's also a belief that the she actually journey by whirling winds. It was quite a common tradition when country people and islands saw leaves stirred by the wind, that they would bless themselves as they thought the she were passing by. It was also believed that any word the wind caught would be able to reach them as they had sharp hearing, which is also why people avoided directly naming them. There was a risk that even if they weren't around, they could still hear. Now the she are thought to be the remnants of the Tuatha de Dunan, which translates to people of the goddess Dana. Who is Dana? Dana is a Celtic earth goddess who ruled over fertility, wisdom, and wind. There's that connection to wind again. Now, the Tuatha were defeated by the invading Gaels, and part of that defeat meant the Gaels had power to dictate the terms of a peace treaty. The Gaels were quite cunning here, and they said they would split island between them and the Tuatha if the Gaels could state their claim first. The Tuatha consented, and the Gaels said they'll live on the surface, while the Tuatha can live under it. From this point forth, the Tuatha had to live underground in the hills and mounds of Ireland. This act essentially formed the socio-spiritual hierarchy within Irish society that still largely exists today. 
When they were driven underground, they formed their own parallel world, and the fairy mounds effectively were the entrances or portals into this world. The Tuatha Dé Danann evolved into the Shi, and the mounds they resided in over time also became known as the Shi. Interestingly, Shi as a word is also linked to peace, goodwill, and truces, which is a reference to the peace treaty formed between these two races. Just a word on fairy hills or mounds, Ireland alone has 60,000 and they are thought to be ancient forts or artificial hills built from earth or stone, some by builders that we're not even sure of. Within folklore in some parts of Ireland, the Tuatha Dé Danann are the builders. Now, you can usually tell a fairy hill by the local name alone if it contains Russian, Wrath, for or Cashel within the name. Some of these mounds were ring forts that a family lived in and gave their name to that fort. Many of these forts ended up being buried and they formed mounds. Now I'm guessing the burial of these ring forts happened when the family died out. Also, some of these mounds are a monument to the dead and acted as a burial ground. Now traditionally, fairy mounds would open on Samhain, and also dusk and dawn were seen as quite active times for the Fae when they would be in and out of the mounds. There's countless stories of music coming from the mounds and strange lights, and misfortune is said to fall on those who disturb these places, which is perhaps why we know so little about them. The Fae also have ties to bodies of water, they were said to live beneath lakes, and on misty days, children were more at risk of being kidnapped by them and taken into the lake, so they were told to not stray too far from their homes. This belief was particularly present in ancient Wales. Nalokgur in Ireland lies within a circle of hills, and every seven years is supposed to dry up, where the entrance to Tirnanog, or the Land of Youth, is revealed. Now this is the name of the place where the Fae live, and it's seen as kind of like a paradise. Also, every seven years, someone is supposed to drown in the lake, and is effectively taken by the lake's guardian, Toy Breen, the White Lady, also known as the Lazy One. Now, she takes the victim into the world of the Fae, and she's called the Lazy One, as she basically let a well overflow, and as a result, the lake formed. I mentioned earlier that the Shi were the descendants of the Tuatha Dé Danann. Now, this race was seen as the ancient agricultural gods of the earth, who controlled when the crops would ripen, and how much milk cattle could yield, therefore it was wise to give them offerings. In one of the myths of Ireland, once the Tuatha Dé Danann were defeated, they took revenge by destroying the wheat and milk of the land and forcing the mortals to honour them. And throughout folklore, there's certainly hints of veneration and honouring them. In particular, bowls of milk and butter are left outside for them. If any milk fell on the ground during milking, it was seen as theirs, as well as any butter left on the knife after buttering bread. The next day, this food that had been left out overnight wouldn't have been eaten by anyone, including the farm animals, as it was thought there was no real substance left in it. In some circumstances, the Shi reward the faithful by granting them medical knowledge. However, on the flip side of this, if people didn't respect them, they could inflict disease, 
strokes and tumours on people. Now, in regards to them giving knowledge, an old tradition from the Scottish Highlands involves sitting on a three-legged stool at a three-way crossroads at midnight. The person would listen hard till they heard voices who would utter the names of who was to die in the community over the next year. Now, their deaths could be avoided if you brought gifts to appease them. One gift equaled one life saved. Now, the Shi have different tribes that govern different areas. They have palaces where they like to dance, play music, sing, feast, and recite poetry. Some have actually noticed the orgiastic aspects of this and link their origins to agricultural rituals and magical practices. They can also go to war with each other and other tribes. There's also different types of Shi. There's the Shi who walk around after sunset, there's also the Sluishi, who are a group of fairies that travel through the air, sometimes on plant stalks, but they often travel at night and from a western direction, the direction of the setting sun, and it's also where the Blessed Isles lie, which is where the dead live. They can also appear as a flock of birds. Now, the Sluishi would kidnap people and take them with them on their journeys, Traditionally, because of their link to the west, any western-facing windows were kept locked, and a candle burning near it as well, especially if someone within the house was ill, or if the household was holding awake, as it was believed the Sluishi could easily take the person's soul. When they appear, there's often a strange sound accompanying them, like thousands of bees buzzing, and if you can cross flowing water, you'll be safe from them. There's also the Shi who guard lakes and bodies of water throughout Gaelic lands. There's accounts of Shi being assigned to each of the elements. Also, I should say within Scotland, there's this idea of the Seely Court and the Unseely Court. Basically, the Seely Court was benevolent to humans, while the Unseely were the bad ones. Regardless of the tribe, and generally speaking, the Shi would travel on horseback with their hair uncovered and unbound. As you may know, I set up my shop towards the end of last year with the goal of helping people deepen their practice and to connect to the divine. My products are carefully formulated with quality ingredients that are thoughtfully sourced, then packaged and wrapped with materials that have a low impact on the environment. For my oils, I will think of a brief or an aim that I want to achieve with this particular product. I specify some of the ingredients that I want to be in it, for example, with the Money Money Oil, I knew that basil had to be in there for me. It's got huge connotations with money and also with the freedom oil, I wanted people to feel like they were in a forest, so fir and cedar had to be in there. I then hand this brief or this idea over to Madhavi Patel, who has been working in aromatherapy for over a decade. She then intuitively picks the other ingredients and blends them into a formula that fits in with my idea or concept. I send out samples to a small group and see how they get on with it. Then, if it's all good, the product goes on my site. It's a small, intuitive process that works with small batches to deliver witchy oils that not only smell good, but work. In the shop today, we have Money Money Oil, Trance Oil, and Freedom Oil, as well as Erotica, 
my latest blend that's designed to be diffused throughout sex magic and love magic workings, and to generally create a space that is safe and fun for intimacy. I also have a rosemary cleansing bundle designed to be burned as an alternative to white sage that has been handmade by me with recycled string sourced from a mature rosemary brush from my friend's house in East London. It's wrapped under a dark moon for added potency. You can see all these products over on themajorswell.com. There's also a lot of secondary names for the she. This is to avoid naming them directly, as it angers them. A lot of these secondary names contain euphemisms. A few common names, for example, are the fair folk and the good neighbours, and it's thought that calling them this and describing them as kind, they become so. Some within Ireland actually refer to them as the gentry, due to their tall, noble appearance and how they talk. They are generally easily angered, and it's often in relation to the spaces they occupy. When humans build or destroy their sacred sites, like fairy rings or hawthorn trees, or fairy paths being blocked, trouble often follows. There's a famous tale of a man from Carlo in Ireland, who had heard that a local fairy mound contained treasure. So he grabs a shovel, and off he went. Now he gets to the mound and he starts digging amongst the hawthorn trees that grew on and around the mound. He noticed that a murder of crows had gathered amongst the tree branches and had began watching him. He kept on digging regardless until he starts to feel tired, so he decides to leave for the day and packs up his things, still under the watchful eye of the crows. Now when he gets home, he feels a wetness on his face, and upon touching this wetness, realises that it's blood, his eyes are bleeding. Interestingly, the beliefs around the existence of the Fae have waned, however, respect for the Fae is still deeply ingrained within local customs and traditions. Farmers won't cut down hawthorn trees within their property. Hawthorn trees are said to be another home for the Fae, and cutting them down, you run the risk of angering them, though the farmers will never admit to this. Iceland also works around the Fae. Roads veer around boulders that are sacred to them, and they are planned into city and town layouts. There's tales in the past where misfortune has struck down previous projects, and it's something the government takes very seriously. I also want to talk about the plants related to the Fae. We've got Blackthorn, Hawthorn, and Rowan trees. They are particularly sacred to them, and are steeped in folklore and history. Blackthorn in the Irish calendar is linked to Samhain, and a particular tribe of the Shi guard it, called the Lunanti Shi. They are quite angry, and they're very spiky in appearance. In one story from Oxfordshire, a farmer cut down a blackthorn tree, now in revenge, the Fae burned his house down. Also, if a child was kidnapped by the Fae, a person had to go to the top of a fairy mound and burn seven blackthorn thorns, the child would be released. Hawthorn, in particular, stands out, in that if one was growing by itself, it was a clear marker for fey activity. If the flowers of the hawthorn tree were placed inside the house, it's supposed to act as an invitation for the fey to enter. However, you're not supposed to cut a blooming hawthorn, as this will anger them, as they dance around it to celebrate the return of spring. Also, sitting under a hawthorn tree in May is said to increase the chances of abduction. 
Rowan is quite a key player in protection, and the Tuatha de Danann, remember they are the ancestors to the Shi, love to eat the berries of this tree. However, they shouldn't be eaten raw as they are toxic. The fires were also made from Rowan and cattle were driven through the smoke to protect them against the Fae, elf shot and any enchantments placed on the cattle. There's also many plants and herbs related to the Shi. Foxglove, as a name, derives from Little Folk's Glove. Four-leaf clovers were used to break Fae spells and enchantments, as was St. John's Wort. Now, a field of bluebells was seen as a very dangerous area. It was said to aid enchantments and to be full of spells of the Fae. Sleeping in a field of poppies is said to bring dreams of the Fae. Primroses were eaten to see what is usually invisible. They are used as a garnish in cooking today, so they're safe to eat. Just make sure you can correctly identify them. Primrose flowers were also used for protection against the she. They would be gathered and placed on windowsills and around the front door. Wild thyme gathered from a fairy hill can help seeing them as well. And soaking cotton pads in calendula and placing them over the eyes is said to aid in this task as well. Now, not related to plants, but another method in order to see the Fae is looking through a hagstone in an area where the Fae would be. For those unfamiliar with a hagstone, it's a stone that has a hole in it that's naturally occurred. You would look through the hole as you walk Widdishans. Now, the Fae are certainly higher up the food chain in relation to us by setting standards and placing boundaries on what humans can and can't do. These were upheld and enforced by threat of death, kidnapping and infliction of illness and misfortune. Much of these things I'm going to speak about next week, as I'm going to be looking into how the Fae interacted with humans, and some famous stories around them, as well as looking into the explanations of the Fae from a modern perspective. And Majors, that's it. That is a wrap for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. My intent with this podcast is to provide guidance and inspiration for those on their spiritual path and to talk about interesting parts of history relating to spirituality. I also want to connect you with information that is both useful and reliable. Would you like to support me? With your support, I can dedicate more time to the mage as well. You can financially support me through Patreon, where you'll gain access to more content and connect with the mage as well community. The link for this is in the episode description. If you're not keen on pledging money for whatever reason, but you still want to support, you can follow my Instagram at the mage as well. You could tell your friends and family about the show. You could post about the podcast. And most importantly, you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is really important. It really helps because it boosts the algorithm over on Apple Podcasts and it draws in new listeners and helps get the podcast out there. Please help me out. This is an independent podcast. It's just me researching, producing and editing. Anything you can do will help. If you own a business and would like to advertise on the show, please get in touch. The show's email is themajorswell at gmail.com. Special thanks to Coral St. Clair for the podcast artwork. The poem this week is called The Hosting of the She by W.B. Yeats. Yeats was a key player in the Irish literary revival and celebrated Ireland's culture. As a result, 
a lot of his work paid homage and told stories around the Fey. Before I start, it's worth explaining some of the references in the poem. Knocknaray is a hill in Ireland, Cluthnebar is a grave of a fairy, Quirte is an Irish hero, and Neve is a goddess in the land of eternal youth. Don't feel you have to memorise these, it's just for context and it will make more sense. The host is riding from Knocknaray and over the grave of Cluthnebar. Quirte tossing his burning hair, and Neve calling, away, come away. Empty your heart of its mortal dream, the winds awaken, the leaves whirl round, our cheeks are pale, our hair is unbound, our breasts are heaving, our eyes are agleam, our arms are waving, our lips are apart, and if any gaze on our rushing band, we will come between him and the dead of his hand, we will come between him and the hope of his heart, the host is rushing, twixt night and day, and where is their hope or deed as fair? Quaite tossing his burning hair, and Neve calling, away, come away. Peace out, witches, and I'll see you at the crossroads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.